Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. It's day nine at the New York Film Festival and day nine of 17 of our daily podcasts here at the New York Film Festival, the 57th New York Film Festival. My name is Eugene Hernandez from Film at Lincoln Center, and I'm here with my colleague, Eileen Ash. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. We're talking... Um, in a little while, we're going to go to um, a conversation, a press conference uh, for our centerpiece film, Marriage Story. But before we do that, we're going to talk uh, on this edition of the podcast about our projection section. And Eileen, you're a programmer, a curator of this section. Um, I thought it would be um, nice to have you kind of give us an overview in a moment of the program uh, for those listening in. Uh, maybe offer some suggestions, some guidance, some context. Um, but before we go there, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about uh, the work that you do and tell us about um, this program more generally. Sure. Um, so I'm a curator and I work uh, kind of between the film and art worlds. And so I work with artists making um film and video work both for cinema and festival context but also for exhibitions um so i've been working with um the festival here this is the sixth sixth edition of projections um and i also work as a program advisor for the short section at rotterdam um and i've curated um the film program for the previous Whitney Biennial 2017. Um, and I also work with uh, other museums and um, institutions. Thank you. So for those who might be new to this section of the festival or might need a little more context, uh, help us understand uh, what the projection section is. So projections uh, came out of the section at the festival that used to be called Views from the Avant-Garde, um, which was heavily drawing from the American avant-garde film tradition. And so when we changed the name to Projections, we were really interested in opening up this section to more broadly include all kinds of moving image practices. Um, so including avant-garde films, but also more experimental narratives, um, works coming out of the contemporary art world, experimental documentaries. Uh, so it it's really, we really try to look at um, all kinds of contemporary work that's um, kind of outside of the, the standard narrative um, distribution structure um, that, you know, otherwise wouldn't have a home and place to show in New York. And is, is, uh, you use the term avant-garde, views from the avant-garde was the long standing section here at the festival. Is that, is that term avant-garde still used to describe the kind of work that you're, that you're, you're describing, or is that term not as commonly used today? So I think it's like a lot of terms. It, it has kind of become a historical term. Mm -hmm. So I think in the 70s and 80s, avant-garde meant avant-garde. <laughs> and now um, it references a very particular type of tradition mm -hmm. um, that often is working with celluloid film, often with bolexes. And it's definitely the kind of work we still show works people, artists making work from, from within that tradition. But like I said, 
uh, that's not solely what we do in our section. Um, and so I think if, yeah, I think if you think about the term as a description, it, it we're still showing work that is kind of at the forefront of um, what artists are doing with moving image. Mm -hmm. But I think avant-garde now is kind of like a historical term mm -hmm. um, that I don't think covers everything that we do. Uh, because I think a lot of, you know, people working in video uh, in the contemporary art world, they wouldn't identify as avant-garde mm -hmm. filmmakers. Mm -hmm. You know, they mm -hmm. think of their practice in a really different way and didn't even study avant-garde films. Um, so their their background is, is maybe coming more from performance or photography mm -hmm. and um, they've come into making moving image from, yeah, a very different tradition. Um, one thing that might be helpful as we're thinking about how to define uh, some of the work you're discussing is maybe to understand who, well, here's my question. Uh, who are some of the who are some of the pioneers of that avant-garde tradition? And more importantly, for our program, do you see connections or influences related to some of those folks who might de be defined as avant-garde, quote unquote, filmmakers? And thirdly, um, maybe you can explain the connection to some of the work that we have here. Describe some of the types of of work mm -hmm. that we're showcasing in the section. This sure. Year. So yeah, like I said, we're it's still definitely part of the work that we show in the section. Um, so in previous years, you know, we showed um, a historical um, restoration by um, Robert Beavers, mm -hmm. um, which was a work he made in the seventies, and but we've also shown you know his latest works as well. A good example would be a program we did today uh, of Jonathan Schwartz. He's a filmmaker we showed both in Views from the Avant-Garde and Projections, and he passed away last year. And um, he was 45, but um, he very much uh, studied in that avant-garde tradition. All of his films were made in 16 on the Bolecks. And, um, yeah, we... We did an entire program of his films kind of spanning his whole career uh, today as um, kind of a memorial screening for him. Um, and then also um, a program I did want to mention that we're showing on Sunday includes a newly restored print of a saga series by Pat O'Neill from 1974. And so, yeah, this film would definitely have been, is considered part of the avant-garde. Mm -hmm. um, and, but we're showing it with, you know, contemporary work by two artists who um, are brand new to the festival, Francis Scott and uh, Jenny Brady. Francis is from the UK and Jenny Brady's from Ireland. And um, they're working more in kind of a contemporary artist moving image context, um, but we felt like their works um, worked very nicely with uh, this Pat O'Neill film, and it, it's also showing with uh, James Keenitz Wilkins, who's a projections regular, his latest film, uh, This Action Lies. And I wonder if um, some of the work, you touched on this a moment uh, for a moment, but I would love for you to dig a little bit deeper. It sounds like some of the work that attendees might see in projections at the New York Film Festival 
is just as likely to be seen in a museum as it might be at a festival or in a traditional cinema. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe help us understand um, those distinctions, the way the work is contextualized at a festival versus a museum, mm -hmm. and also maybe um, the other places and ways in which some of the work that we're showing might be um, available to an audience. Yeah. Um, so I think... A lot of these artists, as I mentioned, um, are making work and showing work kind of within both film and art worlds. But I think the main distinction would be a lot of these filmmakers think of their films as linear works that really need to be seen from beginning to end and should be seen in the cinema rather than in an installation. So I would say some of the works we show um, have shown in an installation. For example, Charlotte Proger's film we showed last night, SAF05, was in the Venice Biennial this year, and um, she actually just won the Turner Prize. Um, and that was shown as an installation, but it's a 40-minute piece. And so when you're seeing a work in an installation, especially in a gigantic biennial like Venice, most viewers are seeing, you know, four or five minutes of the piece. And so, you know, if you watch a feature film and saw four or five minutes of it, could you really say you saw the whole thing? <laughs> and so I think a lot of the f artists and filmmakers we work with really want their audience to to see their whole films. Mm -hmm. um, but often when you work in the art world, you kind of have to take every kind of opportunity to present your work that you can. So for example, Eric Baudelaire, whose film, um, Un Film Dramatique, we showed last night, he often shows also in both contexts. And, you know, he makes feature length films. Mm -hmm. And he made a film that was over 100 minutes, his previous film, and he showed it in the Pompidou as an installation because he's... You know, he's, he says he doesn't have enough opportunities to show his films. He's um, will show them in every festival that invites him, but also say yes to all the installations yeah. that uh, come his way. So but it's you know, it's a, in, you can't compare the cinematic experience to mm -hmm. an installation, I think. And and some of the films we're showing are shorter, some are longer. Um, you are help us understand how you are grouping them um, as collections mm -hmm. and how you go about that process mm -hmm. and also how you go about finding and and connecting with and uh, discovering the artists that you might and the filmmakers you might bring to the program. Yeah. Um, so I guess in terms of research, uh, Dennis and I go to festivals and biennials kind of throughout the year. We were both in Berlin this past uh, February, and that's where we both saw uh, Thomas Heise's Heimat is a Space and Time, which we're showing on Sunday at 3.15. And that's Dennis Lim, our director of programming. Yeah, who co who's a co-curator of projections. Um, and so we saw that work. It was in the forum at, at the Berlinale, and immediately we were like, we, we should show this in the mm -hmm. festival. And yeah, Dennis and I go to different festivals and um, I'm also doing studio visits with artists and um, yeah, attending biennials and um, yeah, w I guess contexts that wouldn't ordinary, where a film programmer might not ordinarily go. Um, 
And what was the other part of your question? Um, help us understand how you collect the work for an audience here. Help uh -huh. us understand the the kinds of um, thought and approach that you take to to group and collect uh, 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 some shorts, whether it's a collection of shorts or or piece medium length pieces. Mm -hmm. Some of the work you do to think about that. Yeah. Um, so we really watch everything and then make our decisions about um, the shorts that we invite because we really think about the experience of a program and we're not interested in, you know, putting things together that really wouldn't work. And so we kind of approach that in, in a pretty holistic way where we really look at everything we have and we also try to balance things so that there's not you know too much of one type of film or too many films from one country or one region and um and then yeah we just start kind of having an organic discussion about which films we think would go well together which ideas kind of resonate with each other and um it's an intuitive process, I yeah, would say. Yeah. yeah. And I think lastly, for those who are listening in and are even hopefully even more intrigued than when they started listening to this podcast, I guess I would I would offer that the work in projections um, as a whole is probably more adventurous uh, oftentimes than than certainly than a more mainstream kind of narrative, you know, uh, feature length cinema experience. But um, as, a, as a curator, what would you offer as sort of the, the, the invitation or guidance to an audience that is intrigued and how to sort of dive in? Mm -hmm. How do you, so how does, how would someone who's new to the kind of work we're showing in projections sort of start? Yeah, I would just say come in with an open mind and also don't feel intimidated because, you know, people talk about this kind of work being difficult and, you know, often it is work that deals with duration or, you know, is very much experimenting with form. But I would say, you know, be open to being surprised and being challenged. And also, I think, a lot of these works, the meaning is not as fixed as in, you know, a lot of narrative work where you're following a story and there are very specific characters that mean certain things. I think these works are offering a very open experience. So embrace that and, you know, feel that you can kind of draw the meaning that that you take away from the work and that that is valid. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think often people you know, might feel intimidated, like, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. But I think if you kind of relax and stop trying to get it and just experience, um, that is like the best way into it. The section we've been talking about on today's edition of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast is projections on the Centerpiece Weekend of the 57th New York Film Festival. Our guest is co-curator Eileen Nash. And Eileen, any final uh, tips or suggestions or recommendations on when and where folks can check out some of the work you've been talking about? Yeah, I just wanted to mention the program I discussed earlier uh, with the newly restored film by Pat O'Neill and new work by James Keenitz Wilkins is um, Program 6, Solve for X. And that shows on Sunday, October 6th at 1 p.m. and again at 8.15 p.m. And the filmmakers will be present for Q&A. Um, and I also would like to 
recommend Trouble by Mariah Gardnett, which is um, having its North American premiere also on Sunday, October 6th at 8 p.m. And she will be here with us as well. Terrific. Thank you very much. Check it out. Projections at the New York Film Festival. More information at filmlink.org. Now let's take a listen to the centerpiece press conference from the festival talking about the new film, Marriage Story. Alan Alda, producer David Heyman, and I believe the wonderful Scarlett is joining us later. She's in traffic. Well, she's in New York, so of course she's in traffic. Uh, Or maybe she really wants her own special entrance. You can sit, yes. Ray can always sit first because, you know, you're the king. Now I'm the oldest. Uh, I'm just going to ask uh, a few questions to start. I'm going to start with Noah, and then we're going to bring everyone uh, into the conversation. Maybe we'll wait until Scarlett joins us, because what if we say really, really interesting things, and then we have to fill her in later on. And then we can open it up to the audience. Um, I believe it might be the only Q&A you're doing for the film in New York, because you're flying tonight, so... I allowed. So let's make it count. Yeah. No, I know. No, I did allow like 136 minutes of discussion so, to, to make sure. Let's we'll give you what you what you what you need. <laughs> I need a lot. <laughs> so it's um it's not the first time you've tackled the the study of divorce in your film. Um, everybody can think of uh, the Squid and the Whale, which was more focused on the the young, uh, the teenagers and the children's point of view, and this is. A very heartbreaking and moving story, but more from the point of view of the, the, the parents and the grown-ups. So can you decide at what point you wanted to continue in the vein of tragic divorce film and what made you start uh, writing this one specifically? Well, I, I think I, 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 I was, for a while I've been thinking about writing and making a love story and I was trying to figure out what that would be, like how to how to tell a love story in a, in, a, in a different way or in a way that that I felt I could kind of organically get into it, and um, you know, and I think Squid Squid was about divorce on one hand, but it was also about coming. It was a coming of age story. It was about children and parents and moving away from parents. I mean, I really thought, I thought of it as a movie about family, which I, I think about this one as well, you know, and, and it's told sort of in the cloak of divorce, and of course it is about divorce in many ways, but it's, it, 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 I was really focused on the love story of it, and in some ways in, in exploring how, in, in one way when something isn't working, you kind of see it in a different way or in a more, clear-eyed way and that was sort of that in that way in looking at divorce I could I could explore marriage it, it is a beautiful love story and it's 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 very tender and it's hard to focus on the love between two characters uh, so so deeply um, and and make you want to to cry often um, but no you're a very well-known cinephile and we've talked about movies many times and you you come here to discuss your film a lot um, 
There's a lot of obvious references in that film outside of your own world and your own voices. I mean, it's very Bergman-esque in a way, uh, since from a marriage. So, do you have any specific other reference that you would like to share with us uh, in terms of what you were thinking? Well, what I also discovered in the in the material that it had all these hidden genres kind of baked into it. That there was, uh, I mean, the, the, the scene where they're serving. Or, or attempting to serve um, uh, Charlie uh, was both absurd and horif horrifying at the same time. I, I thought it was a thriller and it was a screwball comedy. So, you know, I looked at, you know, I, I love Ernst Lubitsch movies. I looked at a lot of screwball comedies. I love the, the in a way, Robbie Ryan, who shot the movie, it, um, uh, we, we almost designed it. And, and in a way, they almost, because they're actors, uh, Nicole and, and, and um, her mom and, and Cassie, it, 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 in some kind of unconscious way, they probably feel like they're in that movie too, you know? And, and, but then it's also like a Hitchcock movie. It's like a bomb that's hidden under the table that we all know is there and we're waiting for it to go off. So I, and I, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to lighten up the scene deliberately or darken the scene, it was all there. And I felt that in the material, I, I as I, explored it, 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 it didn't need anything else. You kind of could just follow it. Um, uh, I mean, Bergman, you mentioned Bergman. I, I actually looked at Persona a lot because of the faces and the framing of faces. And, and I knew I wanted to do a lot of close-ups in the movie, but also show people in relation to each other in rooms. And, and that movie is, I mean, I think it's, I mean, as close to a perfect movie as there is, and there's, it's, it's just the framing, the, the duality. I mean, in a way, a marriage is, it is also a, there are versions of each other in the marriage, you know, and that, but they're breaking apart. In Persona, maybe they're merging, but the, um, and, and the environment too, it, people in their environments, and so, and, I think that movie has all of that in it. So we, Robbie and I looked at that a lot. We shot the movie in 166 also, which I think is, uh, it's, more, it's a little more narrow than 185, the pe people know aspect ratio, but the, um, uh, because of the portraiture, I thought it would frame the faces better. And, and, we, and what faces, you know? Um, I'm gonna ask one last question for you and... <laughs> That's not his face, that's his leg. Well, he's got legs too. <laughs> um, and hopefully uh, Scarlett will join by. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the cinematography? I mean, you, sh you shot on 35, which is one of your favorite formats um, of working on and, and projection also. And it's, it's the first time you work with uh, Robbie? In Second time, we second shot Meyerowitz Oh yes, yes, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> it seems like you're exploring also different um, way of uh, creating a visual world. Also, the interiors were like pretty striking, and you have more like wide and angles and crazy things. So, can you elaborate a little bit more on like the the, the visual identity of the film? Uh, I will elaborate on the visual identity of the film, but I'd like to introduce Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. <laughs> 
We were very excited that you were coming. I'm very excited that I'm here. Uh, we were waiting for you to ask more questions, but maybe you want just to... Well, I mean, you, uh, yeah. well the, I mean, the, the, there, there were obviously I mean, many things we thought about, but I mean, by, by necessity in the story, there are a lot of rooms, a lot of conference rooms. It's, it's a lot of tr tr spaces in transition. I thought, we thought a lot about sort of the notion of home and you know and 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 then and then being out you know, not home between home uh and so you know how would we shoot these spaces um and and so that's like you say those wide angles i think we're i mean there's something kind of menacing about those rooms you know uh uh office spaces uh i mean they're 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 so on one hand innocuous but i thought we could also Kind of find something else in there, um, you know. But I, 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 the real thing that 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 we focused on was point of view too, and and you know because Nicole and Charlie are in one or the other or both are in every scene, so it's always from their point of view. It's never, you know, when they're even when they're in the mediation and talking and 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 Bert and Nora are talking, we're always over their shoulders. It's always under over Scarlett's or. Adam's shoulder. It's never. We're never shifting to the lawyers' points of view. There are people that they're meeting along the way. I mean, we, we kind of almost thought of it like a picaresque journey. Like they start at home and then they have to go and transition to this other place. And these are the kind of amazing, strange people they meet along the way. It's, it's a Greek tragedy. Um, since we have this amazing cast um, here, I, it, I would like to bring them into the conversation. No, I mean, I, they're, it's, they're it's, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some hugging, so I'm sure they're fine. But but you do have like a um, pretty incredible like history of American cinema on stage because that goes from uh, the universe of Woody Allen and, and Scorsese and, and David Lynch and, and Star Wars and Sofia Coppola and, and and of course Mash, which is the American story if ever. <laughs> So it's 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 kind of pretty impressive. Um, so when you you are a really great writer and you're very precise in your writing and you write, um, I wouldn't say um, mean but flawed character. They're they're subtle but they're they're flawed to the point of uh, sometimes nearly unbearable. So I'm sure it's challenging as an actor to play something like this. Um, I don't see it that way. <laughs> Honestly, I don't see it that way. Okay. But uh, I want to, I know you, it's about you, but maybe they want to mention a little bit what's attractive for them. No, they, it's about them. I mean, yeah. this movie, the, 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 the way they give themselves to these characters is, I, I find so personal. I, I, I can watch them in a way I can't watch other movies of mine, I can watch this movie because of what they're doing. I find I'm watching their movie a lot of the time and, and not mine. So do they change anything just physically in the gesturing, or is it exactly what you had in mind when you're making the film, when you're, you're still writing? talking to me. Well, uh, I mean, they'll yeah, uh, uh, come in, they'll come in. Uh, well, I mean, the, 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 I mean, Adam once described acting as a, as, as a kind of benign rebellion, and I think that's a great way to think about it, because, you know, I, yeah, I'm precise, it's, it's, we do the, the lines of the script. I do. A lot, I like to do a lot of takes. But what I'm looking for is 
the, is that rebellion, is them pushing back in ways, them finding their own voice in, in, in and I think it gives actors more freedom. I hope it does. It, for me, it, it does as, it, as a director to, to have structure. I mean, you know, all those scenes are, are blocked and, uh, and very precisely mapped out, but there's total freedom for them within that. Um, and you see it, you feel it in the movie. Um, so should we start maybe with Scarlett? Uh, can you talk about like working on this film when, you know, it's something when you saw the, the script, uh, what attracted you to that intense woman who's going through like her break and how would you like create your role to come alive? Uh, that's a lot of questions, but I guess, um, well, I, I actually, I thought I'd seen the whole script, but I didn't see the whole script because Noah was writing it when, I, when we first started seriously talking about it. Um, and I think, oh, I, maybe you already touched on this, but I think probably part of your process was writing it with us maybe in mind, because that seems very much like a, you know, when, he, when Noah and I were first talking, it was sort of the, my kind of, commitment to it, I think, was the way that we were going to move forward together, and he would move forward writing it in that yeah, way. They I, were very much a part of, I mean, I, I went to uh, Adam and Scarlett and Laura, too, before I, I wrote it. Uh, and so it was our conversations, all of us, that found their way into the movie, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and it also, just knowing it was them, thinking of them saying, the, you know, doing it, I, I wouldn't have written this script if, if I didn't have that guide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so the, I think the first thing that I had gotten was um, the, I, I don't know if it's, it may have been word for word, but maybe it was just a draft that you were working on, but it was the, the um, story, Nicole's story, um, you know, uh, that she tells um, to Laura's character, and, and um, it was, you know, it was, it was her story, or, you know, the way she, it was her story, and um, and uh, I think it would be—I don't know any actor that would get those sides and then just be, you know, not. Uh, anyway, I was there was no question after that. After I spread those sides, I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I'll see you on set, I guess. <laughs> um, but you know, it was—it uh, was just a very. I think that everyone went into doing this project, all the actors and everyone involved, nobody had any ego about it. It just came from a very, I think you have to be in a safe, comfortable place where you don't feel judged by your fellow actors or your director when you, and you can, you know, be embarrassing and ugly and, you know, vulnerable and, or what you perceive to be ugly, I guess. And, and be able to go to all those places and, and um, and that's when you discover all, you know, all the stuff that you see on, on the screen is, is when you have this kind of even playing field between all the, all the people involved. Um, so I just, I just got very, you know, incredibly lucky that way to be cast with this incredible cast of actors and be working with Noah and feel like we could, uh, like there was no, nothing wrong. There was no, no where you went was a wrong place. It was just a, a means to get to some other thing. And... Um, and that's why I think there's such a fluidity to the, to the film and the scenes. 
fluidity is a perfect word for this. Um, maybe Adam would like to uh, talk about his uh, part in the film. It's the second time you've worked with Noah. No, Four, fourth, sorry, fourth. fourth. Time okay. It's early morning. <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, working with Noah in that specific film and then interacting with Scarlett? I mean, I, I think if I want make it, to make it more precise, you started with um, everything when you, you, want, you didn't shoot chronologically in terms of the story. So you started with um, every emotional scene. Uh, you mean when we shot the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we, we, I mean, we no, we didn't shoot chronologically, but we shot Los Angeles in a chunk, and then we shot New York. But um, uh, are you asking what scene we started with? Or, uh, yeah, and then, and then if Adam can continue with like the interaction with Scarlett. You're asking me what scene we started with? If you want, yes. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. But didn't, when you started working, where you did you start with? You start with a breakup. You don't start with a, the love story. Uh, is it, is no, it harder we, to play, or like just well, going? Well, we rehearsed it? also, so we. I yeah. mean, we all went through it. So by the time we're shooting, we were all things had been blocked. We all sort of had gone through it. So you know, which you have. To, I find you have to do in a movie because you go out of order. Um, but you could talk about what you were saying. Oh yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to say which one is uh, more emotional or or less emotional because you're not thinking that. I think sometimes in um, uh, movies there's a scene that is uh, scares you that you know is coming up on the schedule. You know, it's either at the end or it's you. It's too soon, or you feel like you don't you don't really have your sense of what you're doing or what you should be wearing or how you should be walking or just sometimes you find it before you start sometimes you you're already two weeks in and then you have an idea about uh where it is or, or there's just a scene that seems in, uh, um unlike the others and it's you know whether it be a more emotionally complex or physically complex or you know it, something that's exhausting but um but for this this movie i felt every day was was one of those scenes, which it was a, a, a testament to good writing that the stakes were high and everything. I'm like, oh, well, Halloween is this week? Like, I, no, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it yet. I don't think we have a good report. Or the, you know, the breakup is now. That's, that's or the, or we're, um, they're getting served. That's too soon. Like we haven't. Um, uh, so every day it felt like um, uh, and a major event. So it's hard to it's hard to say what you know where they they all felt like too soon in the schedule, and they all felt <laughs> um, uh, more emotional than I think even scenes that seemed pretty innocuous. You, you know, reading it, reading the text, reading just the script was um, uh, it, it's beautiful. But then when you really have to say what you know, say it and mean it, then it, then it took you know. Uh, See, even scenes that I thought w wouldn't be a as difficult, you know, when you have to look at, it, take Edgy, you know, into consideration, you're looking at his face, who uh, plays mm -hmm. my son in the movie, or Alan, you know, or Ray, you know, when you're, or Scarlett, and then suddenly it's, you know, obviously it takes a life that's, you know, happening in front of you as opposed to, uh, you know, a document that you're imagining <coughs> what it's going to be like. Mm -hmm. So, so they, they were all, they were all emotionally challenging, I guess. Uh, in, in that way. And maybe we can ask a question to Laura, Ray, and Alan, because you played a wide range of lawyers. Uh, you have short scenes, but they're 
um, a great counterbalance to the drama in the film, also because you bring a layer of like humor and reality. So how did you manage to like create like so for such fierce character and memorable character in in so little time in a way? Um, the scenes are quite long, actually. Well, very long, but I mean in terms of the the life of the characters on screen, it's it's shorter. You are more <laughs> the experience of reading the script that Noah wrote, combined with the way he worked on the set, and the, the actors that assembled, that he assembled to, to play this picture, was such an ideal dream combination that all you had to do was fit in with it. The, 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 the thing that impressed me so much, and I think one of the moments that impressed me so much about the movie was a moment near the end where Scarlett and Adam don't say anything. They just look at each other. And I swear to God, I could read their thoughts. And I think at that moment, everybody in the audience is thinking the same thing. Now, now you say that, now, you know, it, it comes, but, all, but that, key moment is expressed not through fancy acting or music or dialogue or witty sayings. It's expressed through the presence of the people who are really in, an, in their imaginary life going through a real situation that you believe happened on earth somewhere. And that's extraordinary to be in that experience with, along with them. And I'm so, so happy to have been able to do it. Now it's your turn. <laughs> oh, me? Yeah. What's the question? How have you thought being a lawyer? The question is, didn't you think I was great in the movie? Yeah, no. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. So, <laughs> on to Laura. <laughs> no, it, 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 look, it's all about the script. Everything you do, it's about the writing. And it was just so good that all you have to do is just submit to it, just say it. Uh, and obviously the writing was just, it's just great. So, that's it. <laughs> it works. <laughs> and Laura? Um, I would just add, um, as Scarlett was saying, you know, the luxury of this experience, to me, unlike any other, is that, um, I always dreamt from loving Noah's work and his films that he might be the kind of filmmaker and actor dreams of that creates a company um, and that the experience would feel much like breaking open a play and being invited into the playwright's experience. And I loved that through not only the process of dinners and talking through this love story he wanted to build, but also in the process of costume fittings and all of us finding each other in rehearsal in different groupings that 
we weren't isolated to our character or to our part of the movie. We were allowed to feel the breath through the film and what the narrative was he wanted to tell by experiencing each other's job at hand. And that I don't see in film, and I think it speaks to us all being part of the same organism somehow. Like, that's gorgeous to me, just that the process is taken with such um, consideration and depth and truth. So that's, uh, you know, unlike any other experience. And just in terms of us as three lawyers, I, I don't know how he utilized each of these characters to sort of summarize the experience of a person being invited in to the most precious and devastating moment you could imagine in a love story. And you pay them to, t to have them tell you what your life is and what you want for yourself. And each of them do it in such an unbelievably different way that it just speaks to genius writing and an amazing opportunity for the three of us to, to play in these different worlds. So I feel very blessed to be part of it too. Thank you. Uh, we can take questions from the audience. We have a microphone? Yes? No? Yes, there's a microphone, so there's someone here, please. Hi, I just wanted to ask you about your very, just beautifully specific choice to include company. And both of you sing the songs that you sang, which are amazing choices for where the characters are at that time, so. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, it, it was actually going, sort of returning to what I was saying before about these sort of hidden genres in, in the movie, I, I, I felt like maybe there's a musical, you know, also in there. And, and I, I mean, I kind of half joked that I reverse engineered the whole movie just to get the two of them to sing those songs. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but I did have that idea early on, and 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 company is something Adam and I have talked about a lot. It's something that we love, and I and and I and I thought, well, how great if we could use these songs as ways to also tell story and also to show character, and which is story. Um, and so I, I kind of had them as markers in, in, in my mind I, that we would, I would hopefully feel like when I got to those points in the movie, I could justify it, you know, and I wouldn't be just like jamming it in, you know. And I, I've done that before in scripts where I have an idea, oh, you know, I'm gonna do a dance number and then it's like, I get there and it's like this will n never work in this reality. But, <laughs> but uh, this story, as I said, kind of was, it, 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 it gave back a lot as I worked on it, and I felt that the that 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 I, that I, we could do it, you know, and and um, and it helped that they, of course, are an a actor and theater people and director, and, and that and it works as because it's from the same musical. If you know that, it's it's they're they're two songs that is a kind of connection, but also expressing very different things in very different parts of where they are and at the time. Um, hi, thank you guys all for being here. Um, so my question is for Adam and Scarlett. I was just wondering if you could talk about how you brought some comedic relief to your roles or how you balanced the comedy and drama in them. I mean, I, I think, you know, life is 
it's not, it's so dynamic and not, not neither funny or sad. I mean, a lot of sad things are also hilarious, um, to me anyway, but, um, you know, I think, and both of the characters, I think because they've had this shared experience for a decade of time and know each other, so, you know, they kind of operate in this, you know, very sort of, you know, there's something very interconnected about them still. They have these kind of roots together. And so they have a, their familiarity is also, it's touching, but it's also also funny and, and ironic and, and they can recognize the hilarity in the worst moments. And, 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 and I think that, that that's just also a testament to Noah's writing is, that uh, you know, there there can be the the drama between them, or the life that's happening between them is also um, funny and whimsical at times, and 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 light, you know, um, because it, it's dynamic like life is. Um, so you know, it'd be if they didn't notice the irony in in this situations that they find themselves in. Sometimes it would be just devastating, and also just so morose and you know, unnatural, I think. And sometimes we would be doing things and actually didn't realize that they were hilarious, but then found them funny in the moment. You know, sometimes we would, even if we were fighting one another, you know, it was the, just how awful it was was so funny because it was so, terror couldn't get any worse. So in some ways you kind of have to laugh at it. And I think that's just how life sort of is sometimes. Or all the time. Yeah, pretty much the same. It's, it's not something that I, you, I think I consciously think of, of uh, oh, this has to be funny. Now, it, it's, if anything, it's just a testament to the writing with, with what Scarlett is saying, and I find that's more true to life anyway. I mean, we don't live in a genre. It's not all one thing. If anything, it would be comedy. But, uh, um, you know, that's just, a, it feels more true to me. So it wasn't something we consciously thought of. It's really just what Scarlett and what Ray is saying is, um, you're armed with this great script, so uh, that, that does all of the work uh, for you, or, or most of it, yeah. Um, I, I happen to think that um, we're at our most honest when we're angry, and it's hard to go to those places because it's draining, right? So I was curious as to, did you guys rehearse a lot? how many takes, what was the conditions like on set on those days that you shot those scenes? Were you referring uh, maybe most specifically to their, the fight yeah, scene they have? Yeah. Um, uh, well, we rehearsed that scene uh, quite a bit. We rehearsed it both just them we, we, in a rehearsal space, just kind of talking it through, reading it, getting used to the words. Um, and then we rehearsed in the location, this is all before we started shooting, uh, and blocked it out so they would know exactly where they were going. And, um, and then we shot it for two days. Um, and it was, uh, it's, it's the first in, in time in my career as, as a director that I felt affected by what was going on in, in ways that I what hadn't anticipated, and 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 I, and that it was, it, it, it was it was challenging in that way to to because we I, I we do 
we do a lot of takes. And also with a scene like that, you know, momentum is so much a part of it too. So it's not like you don't, when you redo it, you don't jump in and just start yelling. You back it up and you start close, you start from the beginning or you go back through it again. And uh, uh, so it was exhausting uh, and much more so for them. And, and they also, I felt, you know, it was also the most gratifying thing I've ever been involved in, really, because of what they gave. And, uh, you know, I, I felt you know, very, I was very touched by it at the same time. But we would have to take breaks, walk around the block. We would have to, um, and it was also so specifically blocked. So, like, when we get into the close-ups of them, I knew on what lines I was going to cut. So, uh, so I would be saying, you know, you know, to them, you know, when, when you say this line, you're lunging forward or you're turning left, you know, and, and lose yourself entirely, you know, that, you know, that, uh, but it's that kind of, with, with these actors, I mean, it's that, uh, it's that amazing thing where the unconscious and the conscious are going at the same time that, you know, that when you have it and when it's this, Fantastic! It, it's it it it's. It, I mean, it's what you hope for as a director. When I call it a rhythm, the, the 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 yeah. I mean, the whole movie is a rhythm. The whole thing is musical in a way too. Going back to what you know, I mean, that's why I think the songs work. Um, but I I um, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it was very. I mean, it's an eleven-page scene, I think, or something. And and. Um, you know, that often they were doing all the way through over and over again. And, um, you know, because we had it in these wides, you see them very wide in the room, we come in very close, we come back, you know, it's, it's, it was all very technical and very mapped out. Uh, and, you know, and then they were, you know, I, I, I able to do what they do and only they can do. Um, and, but it, it, it didn't stop for me then. When I edited, when Jen Lame, my editor, and I were, we, you know, because we do a lot of takes, so we watch them all again. And, you know, and, and we would have to do the same thing. We would watch a bunch of them and then stop and say, let's work on another scene, let's take a break. When we mixed the movie, we had to stop again and say, you know, let's, Chris Garabosio and Jen and I would just say, let's take, you know, because it was so intense. and you're watching them really give what they're giving. I mean, it's not, you can't fake that. Yeah, like my parents were worse than your characters. And I was an only child, so. You nailed it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry. We, we have time for uh, one more question. So I think we were going on that row. Is the microphone behind you, sir? Yeah. Alan, what was the punchline to your joke? <laughs> <laughs> what, what it's going to cost you to hear it. <laughs> I don't think Noah wants me to tell the punchline to the joke. No, you should. I should? These people have pencils in their hands. The story, apparently, and I didn't know what the joke was. Noah explained it to me when we showed the movie at Telluride a couple of weeks ago. But apparently the joke goes, the woman is at her hairdresser's, 
and mentions she's going on a trip to Europe, and the hairdresser says, oh, where are you going to go? She says, well, we're going to go to Rome. Oh, Rome. Well, I don't know Rome. Says, where are you staying? Staying at the Hassler Hotel. Hassler Hotel? No, they're rebuilding it. Don't stay there. That's terrible. Where, what are you going to do there? She says, well, we'll go to the Vatican. Maybe we'll look. No, the Vatican, it's crowded tourists. Forget it. Don't go there. Forget it. So she goes to Rome. She comes back. And the hairdresser says, how was it? She says, it was a great trip. It was wonderful. Says, how was the Vatican? It was wonderful. We happened to meet the Pope. You met the Pope? Yeah, and he spoke to me. What did he say to you? He said, where'd you get that fucking haircut? <laughs> yeah, he, he's a regular guy, you know. But I just want to say about Noah, he... <laughs> it occurred to me while we were talking, and, we're, and we're, we talk about the script, and we talk about how the actors came up with such brilliant performances. And watching Noah work, I really think an important part of it is his respect for the people he's working with. You don't get the impression that he has some secret way that he wants you to do, or that he doesn't think much of you. Uh, but somehow he'll make it work in the editing room. You know, you get that feeling from some people. I worked with a director once who was wedded to the, the video monitor and the camera, and way at the other side of a big, uh, a big sound stage. Noah's right there with you as you're acting. He's part of the performance through his sympathetic nature. But this guy was at the other end of the room, and he would scream out to me directions between takes, like he'd scream across the soundstage, more subtlety. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you so much for that delightful note to finish it. Thank you. listening to the film at lincoln center podcast our opening music is by steelism you can subscribe on itunes stitcher and spotify film at lincoln center is a non-profit arts organization based in new york city and supported by individuals just like you for 50 years we've been dedicated to supporting the art and elevating the craft of cinema and enriching film culture through the programming of festivals series retrospectives and new releases the publication of Film Comment, the presentation of podcasts, talks, and special events, the creation and implementation of artist initiatives, and our film and education curriculum and screenings. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C dot org.